Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. You come to my office. You look around and you see three different people, but they're not Alicia, they're not Josie. And what the fuck is Yasmin Hamadi doing right front and center? I'll tell you what. It's me. Dun, dun, dun. Hi, everyone. It's Yasmin Hamadi. And you're listening to Dare We Say. You're probably wondering, uh, Yasmin, uh, where's Josie? Uh, where's Alicia? Well, spooky season got a little bit of the best of us and they're no longer with us. Yeah, they're actually in Area 69, what is it called, Area 51? <laughs> area no, somewhere, yeah. but they're not here. And therefore, we're taking auditions to fill their place. So please submit to www.com slash dare if you want to join the Dare We Stay podcast. So I feel compelled to say that's not true. We are not taking auditions. Okay, uh, so and that, everyone, you heard a woman's voice. And, and that it. We don't own that domain either. And, we don't, and then you another heard another person's voice. I'm, looking, uh, I don't know. I'm just not sure how you would even spell that. And then you heard three people's voice, and you're probably wondering, oh, Yasmin, who is that? Well, you guys, I care about you. Yep, I'm your mommy. So let me take care of you and help you dissect who the fuck these people are sitting next to me. Shall I introduce the most, some of the most important people in my life? Okay, I'll tell you. Fine, I'll fuck it, I'll tell you. Here we have our showrunner, Caroline Rustin. Hi, I'm really excited to be here, and I'm happy it's at the... Uh, afternoon, because my laryngitis gets like a lot better. I would have sounded like a croggy frog. I wish you did. I feel like it's more sexy in the morning when you wake up. And you're like, I can oh. put it on. I'll put it on. Yeah, please do. And then we have Hi. our amazing associate producer, Fiona. Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Of course. And then we have our other producer here, Ari. Happy to be here. Happy just to be invited, honestly. Later on, we're going to hear a very special midterm segment we recorded. But first, while Alicia and Josie are gone, we're just going to kind of dissect a couple of things that's been on our mind. When we were brainstorming what we could talk about, naturally two topics came to mind. You know, sweet and salty. Which one's better? So we picked the sweet Taylor Swift and the salty Elon Musk. And so these are two very polarizing people. Some people love them. Some people hate them. I, I for one, would die on the hill for Taylor Swift. I would... I thought you were going to say for Elon Musk. For, <laughs> could you imagine? I would die for Elon Musk. Taylor Swift announced her era tour. This is huge. Why is it huge, you guys? Okay, well, I'm just going to jump right in. Yeah, I, jump right I am wearing a Taylor Swift shirt. I also wore this outfit yesterday, and she I wore did. it again. She hasn't showered in 24 hours. No, that's, that's true. That's inaccurate. I okay. shower every day. People also, really quick thing, like morning showers are disgusting. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, mm-hmm. that's another issue. Yeah, morning or night showers. <gasps> yeah, yeah, morning shower is like, how disgusting is your fucking bed? Absolute gross. It's yeah, disgusting. that's real. Yeah, especially someone who like actively pees and poos in her bed. Like, I have to, Whoa. It's a joke. It's, actual, <laughs> it's a literal joke, you guys. I, like, look at me. I have decorum. Okay, well, speaking of the Taylor Eras tour, like, okay, so I, I feel like everyone kind of thought, like, saw this coming, that there was just no way she was just going to do um, a Midnight's tour because of, like, the four fucking million albums that came in between this and Reputation. Literally. But... Okay, so I'm really excited about the Eras tour because, like, truly, like, if I if we were stuck with a concert that was just like Marjorie from Evermore, like that song, <laughs> I would be like, I I honestly don't know if I would go. I, I 100% would. 
mean, yeah, that's a lie. Yeah, that's a did literal I, lie. Did I wait in a four-hour line yesterday to pre-register for the tickets? Yes. I would still go, but I would not be, like, stoked about it. Yeah. So what I love about the Eras tour, like, this is why Taylor's, like, branding group are, like, such geniuses. They're geniuses. Because I feel like we're in an era, no pun intended, of, like, nostalgia. Mm. And there is, like, a looking – we're all looking back to, like, the early 2000s. And there's a lot of, like, rewatch podcasts. There's a lot of, like, reboots happening – um, shout out Saved by the Bell. And that's like what people want. They want the OGs of their earlier life. So that's why I love that this is an era tour because imagine not hearing Red on this tour. It would just be horrible. See, that's the thing. And like, and the art behind it. She didn't even mm-hmm. say what song she's doing, what album she's doing. She just had the art of mm-hmm. each one. So you have Fearless. You, I literally just got goosebumps saying Fearless. You have Speak Now. And I do have to say Speak Now is coming next. For her, for Taylor's oh, version. Oh yeah, there's like a million Easter eggs, and there's that, right? a b- yeah. bunch of Easter eggs, and I just feel like Taylor Swift is one of the best um, songwriters and artists of our generation. I know people will be like, "What, Yasmin? No," but like, I, truly, I think she is. Her writing is. You can't top Taylor Swift's writing. You can't. I'm sorry. Totally. I mean, I I don't even identify as a Swifty. You, I, I don't identify. I don't. Um, <laughs> but I am a Swifty ally. And <laughs> when people say That's a like, great way to characterize it. no, exactly. When people say that Taylor Swift is one of the best songwriters of all time, I mean, just look at the fan base and the community that she's got rallied around her, like mostly because of the words that she's putting out into the world. It's like really incredible that she's able to like build this sort of community of people who like care so much. So it's going to be like really epic seeing her go to football stadiums for this tour. It's Mm -hmm. going to be nuts. Like I wouldn't see like an ever more folklore thing at SoFi Stadium in LA. That would be crazy. I would want to see that like in the comfort of my home, like crying in my bed. Um, But this is going to be epic. And the openers, oh my God. I love the idea of like the juxtaposition of like the Taylor crowd versus like the LA Rams crowd. Like what's (laughs) happening in that individual seat from each like event is, you know, probably crying for two very fucking different reasons. Yeah, they but contain w- one's a better reason and one's not. Um, and I do have to say with Taylor Swift, she, I think for Red Taylor's version, mm. for everything that she's gone through, and I don't want to say she's like been through the ringer, but like in the public eye, she really has. Um, she's been dragged. She's been disrespected publicly. She's been, um, she had her songs like taken from her that she's written Mm -hmm. and I feel like also like she's talked about falling in love in Hollywood at a young age with like older men talk about grooming Mm -hmm. cough cough something's happening now in the industry yeah you know yeah I feel like though like yes she's been put through the ringer and she's been through a lot but I also feel like I mean, one of the biggest things about Taylor Swift for so long is that she's, like, has the biggest audience of all time, yet is, like, not speaking out on any issue. And, you know, now that's definitely changed. But one thing, like, and I know it's something we want to touch on is, like, the – I don't think their opening acts or it's, like, special guests on the show with her, like, is an overwhelmingly, like – queer like Mm -hmm. queer music queer audiences queer band it's like Muna Phoebe Bridgers Paramore Haim also Gracie Abrams I looked up is JJ Abrams' Abrams daughter daughter. and I really like her she's really talented I have goosebumps she's really fucking talented I had no idea they were related that's crazy and I sort of feel like Taylor and like this is I I never describe myself as a stan I'm a huge fan but I don't like ride or die for anyone because everyone has flaws guys Um, (laughs) that's not true you don't? I don't have any flaws. Whoa. I can name four. Um, 
No, but I feel like sometimes Taylor hides behind the people she surrounds herself with and lets them mm. speak for her. Yeah. And I sort of feel like with her openers, especially on this tour where she's becoming more outspoken, like she is sort of doing that. Like I was just like doing research before this and I was like, did Taylor ever say anything about Roe v. Wade? And I looked it up and she did say something, but it was so like I nonchalant. Mean, I mean, I don't want to be like damned if you do, damned if you don't, like judgment like judger sure. person what's judge judge judger person works a judger person mm-hmm. but it's like i i'm a big fan and i didn't even realize she had said something about it yeah. but it's like the people she's surrounding herself with are so loud and are so vocal yeah that it's sometimes frustrating it's like why why but also i love all of these bands so right. yeah. it's exciting and uh, tough at the same time. Yeah, Muna was like gay for Tay, gay for Tay. You know she's an ally. Also, I just feel like there is something to be said about some of her lyrics that mm-hmm. like I would love to bring up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show like, us the receipts. For example, someone tweeted in the stadium screaming, "They don't know how much I miss her." And I just want to say it's her. It's not you. And what's that song called? Uh, very last night. Very, the first, very, last, very first night. The very first night, so, yeah. which is on Red's Taylor's version from The Vault. It's an incredible fucking song. Red is my favorite album. Taylor is such a good songwriter that there's no way she would have put you at the end of the song and uh, in every line. It doesn't go. It's her. But I feel like because this was written back in 2012, times were a little bit different where she couldn't just outwardly say her. That's my theory. It's interesting, though, that she's, like, leaving these Easter eggs and won't just, like, explicitly say something with her chest. Like, really, the only things that she says with her chest are promotions for herself and her music more than, like, what Caroline was saying, anything, like, political or real or, like... But, of course, at the same time, like, we shouldn't be bullying people into, you know, divulging their sexuality when they're not ready. It's just, like, interesting that when you have a platform that's so massive, you should be using it for more than just your personal gain, which I feel like she's trying to do with this tour as well. Um, Like, with having these openers that are so queer, that's kind of like, haha, hint, hint, like, I know the audience that I'm attracting, and I know that I'm a part of it, too. Um, I just wish she would say more things than that. No, I think, um, you know, I'm a big Swifty. I also was part of, like, the generation where all of a sudden everyone hated Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I missed out on like multiple eras. What of, era was that? I think I... I'm the elder in this group. I was there for like first album, second album. Mm. So with Fearless. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then Speak missed now. like Speak Now and Red. And Whoa, sort of came was, back in in 1989. So I also missed, like I missed a bit in there. Yeah. And had to like circle back and truly Speak Now and Red are her best albums. So I missed out on the best albums in her well, whole. Well, okay, the thing you made that it she's making it back. I think, you know, as someone who really loves her and loves her music and, uh, you know, identifies with it a lot, um, I do find it frustrating as someone who like is queer, the way she sort of incorporates queer motifs pretty constantly throughout her work but it it verges it does feel like it verges at points on queer baiting and she makes a lot of money off of it and it I find it somewhat frustrating and 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 heartbreaking and I love and support her and you know if she is queer we will welcome her with open arms when she's ready true we will we will um but I think you know for the time being, it does feel like she's capitalizing on 
her queer audience. Totally. Yeah, I remember you need to calm down. That video was fucking wild. Oh my god, that was crazy. <laughs> was she was like, great. wait, let me hire every gay celebrity <laughs> yeah. to be in this. And then she did the same thing with her tour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But exactly. all yeah. I'm saying is listen to the very first night. Just listen. Yeah. I mean, you can't bring out the women's national soccer team to, uh, on stage <laughs> and then be like, oh, I'm 100% straight. My best friend, Eva, I want to give credit where credit is due. She has said she has spoken out in the past about things and she's been dragged. So I'm sure that there's, I don't know. I don't want to say that you owe someone something, but like, it's like, hard to be a pop star. It's hard to be. I think. I think it's so hard to be. a I pop think star. the gist of it is. <laughs> it's so hard it's to hard. go on a private jet twenty million times more <laughs> than anyone. We will not drag <laughs> Taylor Swift on this episode of this podcast. Is what I will say. Also, but but in her defense, on the private jet, that bitch cannot go on commercial. Mm-hmm. She yeah. would get c- killed. Yeah. She literally would. No, she would. But she doesn't need to take a twenty minute flight. Okay, yeah. but I do have to say there's another person who's um, uh, not exactly a pop star and not exactly um, an ally. Um, and this person's name is Elon Musk. And as you all know, and if you haven't known, that means you live under a fucking rock or you don't have Twitter, which also means you, you live under a fucking rock. He just bought Twitter. The, he he also just fired the top three execs. And there's been talk that he's firing 75% of the Twitter staff as we speak. And Fiona, you're very passionate about this. Fee, what do you think? I think they love it. (laughs) Oh, my God. Thank God Elon bought Twitter. Thank God. Um, I mean, I'm really sad. Like, I don't know. I feel like I understand why Elon has so many stands because I understand the whole, like, yeah, it's great to have, like, an electronic car that isn't, you know, gas guzzling and bad for the environment. I also understand being, like, we need an alternative for when the Earth is, you know, destroyed by climate change. Not that I'm saying that we should all move to the moon. I think that we should be (laughs) divesting our resources in much better places. I just understand, like, why he has a fan base at all. I just don't think that he needs to have, like, the power of owning Twitter like that. Because the people who have owned Twitter in the past haven't been, like, iconic tweeters. I mean, people follow Jack just because he founded Twitter, not because, like, he's saying unhinged things and does other stuff and then decided to buy it. Like, I think that this is just such a crazy exercise of privilege and just being able to be like, yeah, I have all the money in the world and I want to be the person who's in charge of, of like one of the most democratic, uncensored social media platforms ever. Like, it's just, I think this man has too much power at this point and he is a meme. Like, he's kind of a joke of a dude. And I love Twitter and I just like don't want the sanctity of Twitter to die in his hands. So I don't know. That's how I'm feeling about it. Yeah, I feel like Elon taking over Twitter is kind of the metaphor for, like, American democracy. Mm-hmm. Because literally, like, Twitter really uh, got popular when it was used as, like, a grassroots org, like, an organizing platform for, like, revolutions yeah. in, like, Egypt and Tunisia and all these other places. And it was a way for people to communicate and organize and, like, enact political change in a really serious way. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I, and the way I see it is like, that's when Twitter really started getting, um, like people started really realizing the power of this platform. Yeah. And, you know, as that happens, it becomes more and more popular, pol- you know, 
politicians start tuning in. They start realizing this is the best way to communicate. And what really started off as like a platform kind of for the people to talk is now owned by a single billionaire who now can control speech however he wants is just like feels so like sadly right. No, completely. Not right and like, yeah, but like right as in obviously this is going to happen. Yeah. And and he his whole thing is he's obsessed with free speech. He wants free speech, free speech, free speech. But by you single-handedly, one man owning a platform for free speech, you're automatically not allowing free speech. Does that make sense? And I feel like he he's already talking about bringing back Donald Trump online. Mm-hmm. And like he's not censoring Kanye and all of these – alt-right horrific individuals and I don't in free speech there's no room for hate speech I really don't give a fuck about what you think Mm -hmm. you know in the constitution free speech well they weren't that was written by like a bunch of old white men during a time where people had no rights and there were slaves yeah yeah I'm not saying he's, like, apolitical, but he's very much like, we should just let everybody talk. And it doesn't matter, like, if they're saying right and wrong things because everything is subjective. Like, he tweeted something that was, like, all the Democrats and the Republicans are hating on me right now. And he's like, that feels really good that it's coming from both sides. Like, obviously, that means I'm doing something right. And I'm like, no, that means that you're the rare unifier, bro. Like, everyone hates you. <laughs> yeah, he's about that, like, Joe Rogan era of, like, libertarian. Also, like, not to be rude, but I don't fucking care. He needs a fucking tan. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've been looking at all these memes of him recently, and not only does it just, like, hurt my eyes because it's Elon Musk. It's just, like, it's tough. He's tough to look at. I also feel like Grimes. Grimes, my girl. Like, I love you so much. What the fuck are you doing with this guy? Well, she's not are with they, him anymore. They're not together They're anymore. co-parenting fully, and she's well, literally— They have a they child? Have kids. Yeah. They have two. This man has children? Yes. Oh, my God. He has so many children. He has so many children. Also, his— his dad has children. It's like a, a Woody Allen situation. Well, oh my God. No, his dad has. <laughs> sorry, I meant to say his dad has kids with his stepdaughter. Yeah, oh, yes, that's so. Weird. Yes, he said he's been. He came from a very tough background, and I'm like, being a white man in South Africa in a very privileged place, that must be very tough. Hmm, that must yeah. be very tough for you. So hard, especially now that he is, you know, a billionaire. And I don't want to discredit him. He's a, he is a brilliant man. Like, I, I, he's very smart, but that doesn't excuse horrific, horrific actions that he's being taken. Do you yeah. think this spells the beginning of the end for Twitter? Oh, 100%. Well, I, I, I don't know if – have any of you read the article in The Verge by um, Nilay Patel that basically outlines the issue with – uh, un, unmoderated free speech no, go on. online. So basically, TLDR, right, TLDR is uh, content sites like TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram incentivize people to post good content, mm-hmm. not bad content. But the second you take away the incentives and the disincentives, um, you also lose advertisers and people don't want to interact with your site anymore. So like when you get rid of content moderation and people can post, you know, slurs and uh, just horrible, offensive Mm -hmm. bullshit uh, online, then no one wants to fucking advertise on there anymore. And it's just becomes a hell site. Um, And it's just a not a not a, a business. It no longer 
is a functioning business. Well, that's why they're bringing in the subscription model with yes. the check mark, that right? Is, which is dumb. But yeah, dumb. And he's <laughs> he's so just. And also, like all of these people who are so hoorah, Elon Musk. Like AOC tweeted about something about it, and then she's getting so many. She already gets so many hate comments and death threats by just being alive. Mm -hmm. But like, so many people are coming for her neck, and she's like, you understand, like. People who can't afford to pay for a $20, like, Uber ride to to do their laundry is like, I'm going to pay that $20 blue check thing for Twitter because that's, I'll ride for Elon Musk. Like, you can't, like, what, honey, pay your rent. You, buy food. You don't need to buy a $8 or $20 check mark. Yeah. Also, it takes away the significance of a check mark. Not that there even should be a check mark, but there maybe there should be a check mark. Maybe I'm just saying this because I want a check mark. I was going to say, <laughs> I would buy it. I would buy it. <laughs> I would love no, a no. blue check, but I feel like part of the fun is getting it from Merit. Like, yeah. No one gets it from Merit. Everyone yeah, it's, gets all, it's like a PR Hollywood star. That's not so. true. Hollywood, everyone is in there for Merit. Yeah, it's a meritocracy <laughs> for sure. <laughs> if you can't tell, I'm fucking kidding. <laughs> all right, Twitter's dead. Twitter is dead. I, I love Twitter. Long live Facebook. Long, I don't man. have Facebook anymore. Long wow. live Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> oh, well, that's, <laughs> true. No, that's true. You know what I'll say? Long live Tumblr, and I'll stand by oh, that. Oh, that's true. You know what? I think we can end it right there. So whether that's waiting four hours like poor Caroline yesterday in the Eras Tour Ticketmaster line, hotline, hotline.hotlinebling.drake.com, or deleting your Twitter because you're in, you're just not live laughing and loving with Elon Musk. Regardless, there's one common denominator, Tumblr. Thank you so much for listening, mm-hmm. and we'll be right back. As I mentioned earlier today, we'll be talking to four incredible grassroots organizers and politicians from abortion clinic escorts to the first Gen Z city council member. Buckle up, it's gonna be a wild ride. Woo! (laughs) Hello, poppet. The UK is a crazy place to live right now, especially today. So come and dissect it with two lovable rogues, Tubsy and Hyder, in their brand new podcast, The World According to Who? Tubsy and Hyder. Chatting from their London sofa, these TV chefs turned podcasters will tackle all the big topics. Will England win the World Cup? Could Tubsy do a better job as prime minister? How can you escape a parking fine? And should you wear shoes indoors? The answer is yes. Expect celebrity guests, lots of food, and a whole whole lot of arguing. Just search for the world according to Tubsy and Hyder now. Dare We Say is brought to you by Apostrophe. The holiday season is around the corner and with that comes gift giving. Lots of great food and of course, dreaded holiday portraits. See, in my family, we always want to have the most beautiful in the center and of course, naturally, it's me. And with that, I also have hormonal acne and perioral dermatitis. You guys know the drill and eczema. And because of that, I get nervous with photos. I do. I have to sometimes wear a lot of makeup to cover up my blemishes. But sigh no more. But sigh no more because of apostrophe. While we can't control other aspects of the holidays, what we can control is how our skin feels and how we feel inside. And apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. That's it. Whether you're dealing with breakouts, sign of aging, or acne scarring, apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. 
Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get customized acne treatment for your unique skin. Through Apostrophe, you can get access to oral and topical medications that use clinically proven ingredients to help clear acne. Simply fill out an online consultation about your skin goals and medical history. Then snap a few selfies, click, 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 click. And I know you do that. And a board-certified dermatologist will create your initial customized treatment plan. Apostrophe offers access to prescription treatments for all types of acne, from hormonal acne to facial acne to even back, chest, butt, chest. I said chest already. Legs, feet, greens, beans, potatoes, you name it. Treat breakouts from head to toe. And listen, you guys, we have a special deal for our audience because we care. Because here at Dairy Say, we care about you. What is happening today? Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash dare when you use the code dare. That's a saving of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash dare and click get started. Then use our code dare at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only what? Five dollars. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring the episode. Babble, babble. Bonjour, ça va? Ahla wa sahla, ni hauma, hola. Hello. Dare We Say is brought to you by Babbel. Okay, so I took French for nine years in high school. I was like, you know what? Everyone's doing, everyone's taking every other language. I want to take French. Why? Because the French colonized Lebanon and everyone speaks French in Lebanon. So I wanted to feel more at home in Palo Alto. And so I wanted to learn French, but fast forward how many years? And I'm 20 years old and I forgot French. But because of Babbel, I now know and am learning and actively trying to engage myself in learning more French. With Babbel, you only need 10 minutes to complete a lesson. If there's a foreign language that you regret not learning in school or have forgotten over time, it's never too late to start with Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions. Thanks to Babbel's addictively fun and easy bite-sized language lessons, you can finally cross learning that new language off your list. With Babbel, you only need 10 minutes to complete a lesson. That's it. So you can start having a real conversation in as little as three weeks. Babbel lessons are created by over 150 language experts and voiced by real native speakers, not computers. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. We're not here, we're not here for the bonjour, we're here for the bonjour, the ugh, you know what I mean? Right now, you can get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash dare. That's babbel.com slash dare for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. The midterm elections are next Tuesday, 11-8. No, let me, let me repeat that. November 8th. I actually already filled out my ballot because I'm booked and busy and want to make sure my vote gets counted. It's the least I could do. It's literally the bare minimum of what you can do to positively change this country. And in the immortal words of Whitney Houston, I believe the children are the future. Like, I actually do. And for how loud we are on social media, we are embarrassingly silent. Like, I'm looking at you, my little white liberal boys in the Silver Lake Los Feliz border. I'm looking at you, barista boy. You can talk that talk about being a liberal and progressive, but it's one thing to talk and it's one thing to do it. Do you know that 40% of people between the ages of 18 and 29 say they'll definitely vote in the midterm? And that's amazing. Live laughing and loving that. But that's less than half of the eligible voters from our generation. 
And according to the early voter numbers coming in, the future's looking a bit fucking bleak. Voters aged 30 and younger account for just 5.4% of ballots cast so far. You guys, that's a low number. Procrastination is just not the moment. It's not the vibe. It's not. Let me tell you what's at stake. Let me, let me walk you through this so you actually at least try to give a shit. The Democrats have control over the House of Representatives. If Republicans take the majority in 2022, they might just might be able to successfully steal the election in 2024 if they don't like the results. In the Senate, legislation keeps dying because not enough Congress people want it. Electing one or two more Democratic senators would help us make more progress in our legislative initiatives. Imagine not having to rely on Mansion and Cinema for anything. Some governor spots are open for grabs. I'm looking at Miss Stacey Abrams. We need her. Or Mr. Beto in Texas. We need him. The first thing a new Republican governor might do is make it harder to vote in places where President Biden had some of his narrowest margins of victory in 2020. Plus, your local elections matter too. Your city council members. Yeah, that traffic light, it's not working. You have a say in that. You have a voice. You don't have to be Nancy Pelosi to make change happen. You don't. And voting is a step in a set of actions that we can do to take to help our nation slowly get better. Another part of that set of actions, going on the ground and organizing and advocating for movements you feel passionate about. And so in this episode, we talk to people who believe it too. They're normal people, just like you and me, who became organizers and politicians making real impacts on everyday lives. Honestly, I'll say it, they're doing more work than some of our leaders of this country in the Democratic Party, too. We talk to them about why they want to get out and vote so they continue fighting for their causes. Tiffany Dina Lofton New College was going to be expensive, but when she got to UC Santa Cruz, she wasn't prepared for just how expensive. They decided to increase our tuition my first year of college, my first semester, 38%. No. I got the Pell Grant. But that still didn't cover enough of the increase that was happening. So I had to take out more loans. And my mom couldn't pay for a laptop. And I wasn't going back and forth to the computer lab every day. I was like, I have student loan debt. And also, wait a minute. Why has tuition gone up 130% in 20 years? Why in the hell are we paying for education in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> and then why are these young folks graduating with thousands upon thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of student of debt? Um... Good question, Tiff. College is literally so expensive. I have so many friends who are stressed out about paying school loans for the rest of their lives, and I'm asking these questions too. Tiffany wanted to fight for the answers she wanted, and she has been. She most recently served as the National Director of Youth and College Division at the NAACP. I have a huge extensive background in organizing for labor unions and the education space. Mm -hmm. She works with a debt collective, a debtors union fighting to cancel, well, debts. <laughs> Gen Z cares so much about this. Like, if you're going to raise us into thinking that college is going to be the only thing that you can do to be successful, maybe don't make it impossible for most people to pay for that access. So since then, Tiffany's been organizing around labor and education, helping to achieve things like Biden's student loan forgiveness announcement in August. Besides that, she's been looking at how the government impacts her organizing efforts. I run a coalition with the Debt Collective. Shout out to the Debt Ooh. Collective. Um, of a bunch of youth and people of color organizations that are politicizing the student debt issue. Mm. We're actually running the track records of all the candidates. How have you talked about student loan debt? Most people might not know this, yes. but there are 22 governors 
who wrote a letter to Joe Biden right after he made the announcement that student debt was going to get canceled um, or a piece of it, rather, telling him not to do it. Mm. 22 governors. Wow. 16 of those governors are up for election this year. Yeah. So I'm like, you might live in Florida and you don't even know that your governor told Joe Biden not to cancel student loan debt anymore. If we don't get those people out of power, then canceling student loan debt will be nearly impossible. Quite literally, nearly impossible. And people will continue wondering whether they'll be paying off their student loans until their great, 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 great grandchildren go to college. That's if the climate doesn't end them first. If we vote wisely, we can slowly chip away and make systematic change. If we can politicize more the issue of student debt through the midterms, my hope is the same way that I was talking about in 2007 and 2011 when I said that I didn't believe that cancellation could actually happen. Yeah. My hope now is in the next 10 years, what do we not believe now that we could move in the next 10 years? And between now the, the midterm, we're going to cancel student debt. Between the midterm and the presidential 2024, we're going to tell people that education could be free. Yeah. We're going to keep critical race theory. We're going to do all yep. of those things. Yep. <laughs> Clearly, Tiffany's got big plans, and she's just a regular person who cares. And anyone, even you, can be that. Take inspiration from more regular people who care. We talked to four grassroots organizers about the causes they're fighting for, how they're impacted by the midterms, and what we can do to make changes beyond voting on November 8th. The ramifications of what could happen mm -hmm. and what may come out of the midterms could quite literally, and this is not hyperbole, could decide what happens to abortion in your state. That's Lauren Rankin, a writer and a reproductive health and rights expert. She used to be an abortion clinic escort. In fact, she wrote a book called Bodies on the Line at the front lines of the fight to protect abortion in America. Her experiences outside of clinics really sounded like a battle. The most common experience I saw for folks walking in was terror and confusion at grown men holding a bullhorn and literally screaming at them, you'll still be the mother, just the mother of a dead baby. Wow. You're going to rot in hell. Um, they're going to rip your baby limb from limb. You're going to die in that butcher shop. Things that you just don't expect to hear period, but from a random stranger while you're going into a healthcare facility and coming out, you could see on their faces the relief that it was over mm -hmm. and um, that they didn't have to go through that again. And I don't even mean the abortion. I mean, facing those people. And that is frankly, fucking terrifying to hear. The rights to your own body are on the line. The, the I can't wrap my mind around that. This isn't just a person with a uterus's issue. This is an everyone issue. At the bare minimum, we should let people get their doctor appointments in peace without a bunch of rude virgins with misspelled signs berating you. Obviously, abortion has always been a massively politicized issue, even though it shouldn't be, especially with the overturning of Roe and the ensuing strict abortion bans happening across the country. People are losing healthcare access before our eyes. It is happening very fast. The midterms are going to directly impact the future of reproductive rights for all people. If you're asking someone, do you believe in abortion? You're asking them something very different than do you believe it should be legal? And the vast majority of people in this country believe yes. If you believe that, there is no other option in this midterm election except to vote for the Democratic Party. And I'm not even saying that as someone who's like rah, rah, vote blue, whatever. I'm saying yeah. that there is a very clear dividing line at this point.
But Lauren knows that this fight goes way beyond the midterms. Abortion is about so much more than who you vote for. It's a community issue. And the people who I was walking into the clinic, I don't know who they voted for. I don't know what they believed. I don't know what sports team they liked. I don't know what their favorite color is. None of that mattered. And they're not trying to make a political statement by having an abortion. They're just trying to get health care. So these are activists on the ground, clearly disheartened by the political establishment. But activists can turn into politicians too. Think of AOC and Ilan Omar. It's important to elect officials who know what's going on on the ground because they'll know how to fight for their communities when they have the political access. That's who I trust because I know they're in it for the right reasons and the long haul, not for just like weird, cringy political clout. The best government is a government that works with those that are on the outside. That's Chiyose a council member from New York City's 36th district representing Bed-Stuy and North Crown Heights in Brooklyn. We went to college together, actually, and he's exactly the kind of guy you want in office. I think when we have elected officials in office that understand the urgency um, that activists have and also um, are open to, to, you know, opening their doors and allowing activists in the room to help them with legislation and budgets. His activist to politician journey began during 2020, at that point, he was a party promoter doing some modeling for friends and writing songs in the city. A Brooklyn dream come true. Bushwick is shaking in its boots. And then the police murdered George Floyd. I decided to leave my quarantine to go protest. And um, I was seeing police brutality uh, at that protest that I went to, at a protest that was there to protest against police brutality, which was... Yep completely ironic, um, but it also gave me this passion to continue going out every single day. Um, and I was organizing with people that were on the ground um, and started uh, putting together some of the largest protests that happened in New York City at the time. And a lot of our attention was being honed into uh, our city government in terms of how uh, our city council had the power to vote on a budget um, that affects how the NYPD operates. They present laws that could uh, reform the NYPD. And I saw that my council member wasn't doing what I was chanting and demanding in the streets. So I took the leap of faith and decided to run myself. Truly a leap of faith. He's literally our age. I'm the first Gen Z elected official in New York City. Very proud of that. Now elected, he approaches politics with his activism being the foundation of his values. There was a lot that I had to learn that, that went beyond what I initially set out to do when I was marching and chanting on the streets. But the core message has always been clear. And, um, you know, I think many people uh, interpret Black Lives Matter in many different ways, shapes or forms. But I try to look at it uh, through my own work as an elected official in a community that, you know, has a sizable black and brown population. And I try to bring that, that message um, to the work that I do every single day. And that, that gives me so much hope for the future of our government. He knows the midterm stakes from every angle as an activist fighting for a more just world, as a politician looking out for his constituents, as a member of Gen Z. And he knows that our generation needs to show up more. You know, I think only 36% of, of Gen Z eligible voters show up to vote in these elections. And um, if we really uh, go out and, and show the right that we're here, um, I think that we could protect our democracy and even protect abortion rights, nonetheless, LGBTQIA rights mm -hmm. that um, are on yep. the line. 
It's so annoying. I hear people my age bitching and moaning about the system, but doing nothing about it. Like, if you don't vote and take the basic thing that you can do to change our democracy and change our world, you don't get a right to complain. I'm sorry, you don't. Like, what the fuck? Please care. The more people vote, the more people's voices are heard, and the more the people's collective voices become impossible to ignore. We are strength in numbers. I can't say it enough. You're expanding the number of people who are going to be holding elected representatives accountable. That's what's going to make the change in L.A., you know. And that's Nithya Raman, an L.A. City Council member for District 4, representing neighborhoods from Silver Lake to Encino. Not my district exactly, but a couple of boys on my roster live there, and I definitely care about them sometimes. And she began as an organizer working to fight homelessness. In my neighborhood, I saw that there was a lot more tents than there were a couple years prior. And I didn't see a lot of city officials really going out there and doing something about it, you know, learning about the issues, really making sure that the city was solving the problem. She co-founded the SELA Neighborhood Homeless Coalition to combat the housing crisis. When we opened up volunteer opportunities for people to help on the issue of homelessness, hundreds of people came out to volunteer. Like we couldn't... Yep keep enough volunteer slots every week for all of the people who wanted to sign up. And that's when I realized people's anger around homelessness, frustration around homelessness, really comes from a feeling of helplessness and Mm. their inability to do something about it. And I was like, well, if we had elected representatives who were like, here's what we need to be doing, here's what your role is in that solution, and here's how we move forward towards it, and really articulating that vision clearly, that we could have a city that wasn't being broken apart by homelessness, but really united in fixing it and working toward towards this common goal. And that's really what pushed me to think about running for office. She knows that being involved in your community and fighting for its cause is the first step. She's real for that. But for now, after working in politics, she knows that voting truly does make change too. I think we forget how much power we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we forget how much we've changed the country's response on major issues. We have had real impact on what they've done. And I think we should take credit for it. And I think that's why we need to be thinking about our participation in midterms as really, really important. Because when we speak, it is, to me, it's clear that they hear us. Um, Not enough, not fast enough, you know, not at at the scale that we want, but they do hear us and we have made change. And I think we need to be more cognizant of how much power we have. We have a voice, you guys. And there's so many ways to exercise that voice, obviously through voting. And through doing work in our communities, the organizers we spoke to have so much advice for Gen Z who want to take action beyond the ballot. This is actually the season where you all can take the most amount of risk, period. You should be afraid of nothing. You should be worried about nothing. You should be concerned of nothing. You should have no anxiety about what's going to happen. Um, You should just do. You should just fight. You should just organize. You should just dream. Go out in your community, find that group, and then pick something that you're really passionate about and just take leadership. And people are looking for that leadership and guidance. And I think if you present yourself sincerely, people will will accept you and, and, and make space for you in their lives. 
whether it's joining your block association, your community board, helping a neighbor bring their groceries up their steps and chatting with their neighbor about, you know, this upcoming election, volunteering for a local elected official in your city council, township, district, whatever. That's how you create some of the most um, tangible change that you can see on the day-to-day level. And I think building that that sense of community is how we could build um, collective power that reaches to the top. Imagine being in a box that's pitch black and your dream is to figure out how to get out of the box. Instead of imagining trying to get out of the box, imagine what's on the outside of the box already. Uh. That when you break out of that box, right? You'll be able to flourish in this world of freedom and have this dream of how things should actually be. So let's break out of these boxes. Vote on November 8th. But since voting isn't everything and there's so much more you can do on the ground, go into your community because that's where real change happens. Go to votesaveamerica.com for all the voter info you need. I'm sending you so much love and there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Well... That's our show. Whether you love us or hate us, you're still fucking here. So thank you everyone for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next week. Dare We Say is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our showrunner, producer, and mommy. And Ari Schwartz is our producer and show daddy. Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. And Sandy Gerard is the almighty executive producer. It's hosted and produced by me, Josie Toda. And me, Yasmin Hamadi. And me, Alicia Pascual Peña. Our engineer and editor is Jordan Cantor, and Brian Vasquez is our theme music composer. Our video producers are Matt DeGroot, Nar Melconian, and Dylan Villanueva, and Mia Kalman. Lastly, thank you to Jordan Silver, Gabriella Leverett, Jesse McLean, Caroline Haywood, Shayna Hortzman, Daisy Cruz, Danielle Jensen, and Awa Okaladi for marketing the show and making us look so damn good. 